Well, as we think about Psalm 19, I thought about what to share out here. I just think it's great for us to take some time to reflect. And you'll see in verse 14, it talks about meditation. And we'll talk about that at the end of the message, but we're actually going to put it into practice here in just a moment. I don't know what it is about this summer, but I've been thinking a lot back to my childhood and some of the good memories that I had growing up. And one of the things I remember, it was 1971, and I just had turned 13 years of age, and as I would do every day, seven days a week, I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning and go out to the driveway and pick up my newspapers, all 55 of them, and take them to my bike and fold them and put them in my baskets. They'd get on my bike, they had the high handlebars and the banana seats, you remember those, right? And uh, I had a little transistor radio strapped by electrical tape to the middle bar, so I wouldn't be lonely out there in the dark. I remember turning the radio on that day and headed out, and one of the songs that came up was Cat Stevens' Morning is Broken. It just had come out, it was a new song, and I wasn't a Christian at that time, and later on I found out that it's, it's a great hymn. It's a hymn for us to, to think about all that God has done, and it talks about, in the third verse, about how he recreates the new day, that every day when we get up and we see the sunrise, just imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve on that first sunrise that they were alive, and now we continue to see God's goodness and glory through that. So I thought we'd take a moment of meditation, and Brendan or Austin, somebody's going to play this song by Cat Stevens for us, and just look around and take a few moments and just meditate as you think of the words to this song, Morning Has Broken. Amen. That's a great, great song. Great song to reflect on. I hope you have your Bible on your phone or a copy like I have up here, Psalm 19. It says, verses 1 through 6, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Well, as we think about this, C.S. Lewis he loved the Psalms, and he said this about this psalm, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in all the world. The psalm may be a defense to speak to the gods of the world around them. See, many of the local cultures had their own gods, and the sun god was considered not only a god of providing heat, but also a god that provided justice as well. And so the reason maybe he's pointing to the fact and talking about the sun is to show that our God is all-encompassing of all the other gods. He's greater than all the gods. He's the, the lawgiver. He's the one who created the universe. It's interesting. The psalmist had no doubt how the world was created. He didn't think about whether it was done with evolution. He didn't think about, well, the science and the Bible, are they compatible? He just looked out into the heavens and declared the glory of God. Notice verses 1 and 2, it says, it's the revealing of God through natural law, through the laws of nature. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. First of all, he preaches to us through the skies. If you have the Bible on your phone and you're looking at Psalm 19, look at verse 1. These two phrases are synonymous. They say the same thing, but using different words. The words fit so well in this poem. Have you ever heard a song that you really liked on the radio? And you could just tell that the words and the lyrics and the music just melded together. We're going to sing one of those songs at the end here called The Great I Am that I think just fits so well. The words and the way the music enwraps the lyrics. Well, this is the way this psalm is, to think about the melody of this poem. And each of these words is filled with depth and meaning. It's something you can picture. He talks about the heavens, referring back to Genesis 1, which we've been looking at. The book of Genesis describing how God created the heavens and the earth. And I love these uh, phrases here, these participle phrases here, declare. It literally means to keep on declaring that every moment of every day, God is declaring to us through the trees and through the skies that he is God. He's the creator God. He's the one that made it all, the sun and the moon and the stars. And we think of space. We think of all the vastness of it, but think of all the handiwork and all the planets and all the celestial systems that he has made. He says they're the glory of God in verse 1. As you look out from your window, you walk out in nature, if you're honest, you can't help but know that there's an intelligent designer, that there's somebody who created all this. It couldn't have just happened by accident. The glory of God here means he's glorious. He's splendous. He's the amazing creator. The second part of verse 1 talks about the skies. And that, and that phrase there says to keep proclaiming. Again, to keep telling, to keep announcing. God is the creator. In summary, God is declaring over and over and over again in each sunrise, in every sunset, whether you go to Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, I made it all. And I deserve all the glory and the honor and the praise because of that. I am the creator, and I want to have a relationship with you. The problem is the things of earth keep us from reflecting on God's cry from nature. The upcoming election in 60-plus days has a lot of people captivated. COVID-19, ethnic tensions, school for kids, and our own personal needs, our own family needs. But sometimes we just need to take a step back and just look at God's handiwork around us. In verse 3 of chapter 19 of Psalm, it says, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. God is saying in verses 3 and 4 that the heavens are literally preaching to everyone in the world the glory of God. It's talking about continual action as the seasons change, as the winter snow will come, probably, in our community here. And as Hurricane Laura, we see the power of God coming through, through that hurricane. God speaks in majesty and power and wisdom. And it's interesting, the language of God is universal. It transcends beyond human language. Do you realize there's only one word in language that is interpreted the same way in every culture, and that is the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. It's spelled, it's it's uh, uh, defined the same way in all cultures. But God is speaking here through his creation for all to see. 
But if they look in their hearts, they have a sense that there's eternity there and there's somebody who created it all. And if a man or woman is searching to know the God of creation, God will reveal himself to them. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The problem, as I've said oftentimes, is that we, the creation, worship the creation, the creatures, or the things creatures make, instead of pointing to the creator, the one who makes it all. There's no excuse for any man or woman to not seek to find out about the God of creation. But then he moves on to the preaching in the sun. Look at verses 5 and 6. He talked about the skies, now he's talking about the sun. And he's going to use two metaphors here. It says in verse 5, In them he has set a tent for the sun in the skies. Verse 5, Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Notice how orderly and consistent God is in maintaining his universe. It says in Colossians 1.17 that he holds all things together. In Hebrews 1, it talks about everything consists and subsists because God keeps it running that way. And so that's how we set our clocks. That's how we live our lives is because the sun comes up and the sun comes down and we build everything off of that. Notice the metaphor here if you have your Bible open, the bridegroom. It describes the sun coming up in the morning as if a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, out of his tent, immediately after his marriage ceremony. Another metaphor here is that of a man coming after conditioning himself and preparing himself to be in a competition. And he comes out and he's ready to go. He takes off uh, the outer layer of his clothes and he's ready to compete. The strength of the sun is emphasized here. The radiance and joy of it coming to light the earth daily. And what's interesting, it says nothing is hidden from his heat. Think about that. The sun touches everything or has an effect on the planet each and every day, even if you're in the shade. It has an impact. Let's look at the second aspect of this psalm. We see his unspoken revelation. Now we're going to see his spoken or written law. As we look at this section, we're to be reminded that this psalm speaks to two key concepts that were at the beginning of the Torah. That of worship and obedience. Worship and obedience. That's the keeping and the obedience to the law, and that leads a person to worship. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Great word pictures here in that section of scripture. God is revealing himself in a greater way than even the creation of his universe by putting in human language the revelation of who he is and what he expects of us to do to be in relationship with him. 
Notice four benefits in these verses of obeying and keeping the law. First of all, verse 7, God brings revival. God brings revival through his word. God's word, when it's received, heals the whole person. It provides forgiveness, and even beyond that, the removal of sin in our life. And it gives us the ability to live a godly, pleasing life for him. The other thing it does is the promises of God are unleashed. That we open the treasure chest and see in there all the riches of God's glory given to us. If we will just claim the promises by faith. Second of all, God's word brings wisdom in verse 7. It brings wisdom. God's word is the source of wisdom. Verse 7 says that the law of God makes wise the simple and even helps those who are wise to grow even wiser. Proverbs 1.7 is the key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where it begins. We're to follow God by keeping his teachings in order for him to daily show us his will for our lives. The next step, the next chapter that he has for us to do. Thirdly, we see God's word brings joy. Verse 8, he brings joy. This is the giving of inner peace and tranquility as we love God with all of our heart. As we've often said, happiness is something that occurs based on the circumstances. It's great to go to adventure land or great to go on vacation and have uh, memories to hold on to. And that's happiness. But joy is there with the Holy Spirit helping us even through the most difficult times, even through the trials and the tribulations of our life. On a day like today, we can enjoy happiness and joy at the same time because we're out here in this great setting, worshiping and praising God, but we have that inner peace, that inner tranquility, because we know Jesus, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth benefit is this, the last one, God's word brings light to the eyes. God's word brings light to the eyes. God's word radiates through our being by revealing the joy that's in us outward, through our eyes, through our emotions, through our body language. It's been said that your eyes are the window to your emotions, to your soul, to who you really are. And I hope that you are revealing the joy by sharing smiles, by encouraging people, by letting them know the joy that's in your life, by the way that you act and behave. You see, the Old Testament frequently joins the description of the Lord as the lawgiver and the creator. We see these two things. Notice in the first six verses... God is referred to as El, or God, to denote his power as the creator. But the later part of this chapter, 7 through 14, he's referred to as Yahweh, the personal God who makes himself known to Israel, but also to us as believers. God's appealing to his creation in a more personal way to follow him and his law. And so some of the things you see there, that God's word is described as perfect, as sure, as right, as pure, as enduring, as in true, and righteous as well. And by following God's laws, it leads you and I as followers of Christ to live lives of integrity, loyalty, and commitment to God, to be able to live an upright and pure life and continually grow in our behavior to do what God says is right for us to do. God's laws in verse 10 of that chapter to be more desired than all the gold, all the money you could ever attain. It's sweeter than honey. 
as wonderful as honey is in that natural sugar, God's word is greater and more beneficial than those things. God's laws keep us, uh, keeps us on the narrow path and helps us avoid the drama in life. I don't know about you, but I don't look for drama in my life, but drama finds me sometimes. And some of us like drama, some of us don't. But if we're following the narrow path, God will keep us on it and we'll avoid some of the extra drama that goes on in our life. It'll help us to avoid the heartaches, some of the lasting consequences that occur because of sin. God's commands warn us from doing the wrong things and shows us the benefits of following him, which leads to rewards and a blessing of a godly life. Well, let's close this psalm with the psalmist's response to God's revealing himself through creation and through his word. Here, here's a great application as we finish out 12, 13, and 14. Revealing of the servant's heart to God's revelation. What is our response? Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Talking about the heart of man. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. God's revelation reveals man's sin. Notice verse 11 you see it also in verse 13, the use of the word servant. Servant is introduced into this psalm. The idea of a servant is someone who is appointed, who takes office, or by his choice, by his will, determines he's going to follow the way of the master. By appointment, by office, or by will. And this person here, the psalmist, is talking about the choice he is making. He will follow God's commands, and in those commands... He is convicted of sin. Just a few chapters before in Psalm 8, the psalmist was writing about the glory of God and the handiwork of God, and he responded in a different way, talking about man's insignificance and limit, power. He said, what is man that you are mindful of him? But this is different. Look at how this psalmist responds. He responds to God's greatness in speaking the law and also showing himself to creation by observing his sin. Much like Isaiah, when Isaiah saw in a vision who God was, Isaiah responded like the psalmist. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Forgiveness in these verses is sought from sins of omission. Ignoring and not doing God's commands. That's what it means to have a sin of omission. To know what to do but not act on it. Sins of commission are willful sins. Sins that we desire to do, to carry out. Presumptuous sins, he mentions there. But he also talks in verse 12 that even when we receive forgiveness, we have power over sin. And that God completely pardons us from any wrongdoing that we have done. We don't know what the psalmist meant there by the great transgression. Some say... Commentators believe it could be speaking of idolatry. Others say maybe adultery, but we don't know for sure. But it's a prayer of response to God's revelation in nature and through his word. I find it fascinating that God uh, uses these verses to bring us to the place in verse 14. Back all the way to the first verse. Look what it says in verse 14 as he wraps up this psalm. Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm sure many of you have heard that verse before. But it goes back to verse 1, where he talks about 
the meditation of my heart. God's handiwork, he doesn't speak it, it's just there. And the meditation of our heart is from inside. There are things that aren't spoken of. The words of my mouth, the law of God. It's interesting to note that this verse brings us full circle to that place. And the expression of words and expression of heart of meditation refer to these things. Meditation literally means the muttering of someone under their breath. It would be the filling of our mind with scripture and understanding its meaning, which will follow with how we apply it and live it out in our lives. Meditation is knowledge, and then it's putting it into practice. Notice he says words there, the words of my mouth, the unspoken words of God, the heavens declaring the glory of God. Then he closes with the idea of God being a rock, a rock, the idea of a rock formation on a, on a cliff or the side of a mountain. Something that would be hard to tear down and destroy. It's a place of refuge. And then he talks about a redeemer. And Job says that God is his redeemer and deliverer. Redeemer, one who has bought us back from sin. So three things real quick as we apply these things to our life from Psalm 19. As we glorify God and express our gratitude for the beauty of his creation, God is glorified in us. Think about that. That's an amazing thought. The heavens declare the glory of God. We are part of his creation. When he places the Holy Spirit within us and we live out our Christian life the way he wants us to, it says in Ephesians 1.4 that we are to the praise of his glory. So as he pours out his praise and pours out his blessings upon us, as we live, we are praising him and reflecting his glory. Don't ever forget that. Second of all, as we keep God's perfect laws, we can bask in the benefits and the blessings found in the laws. Meditate on these things today in Psalm 19, 7 through 11. There's so many great lessons that we could learn and glean from those things. And lastly, as we accept God's revelation personally, we respond out of humility and hopefully continual meditation. To be able to go out for a walk or a bike ride on a day like today and just enjoy the breeze and the cooler temps and just be thankful for all that God has given us. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. I hope today that you know Christ as your Savior, that He is your Redeemer, as it says in verse 14. How do you know if Christ is your Redeemer? Well, it's coming to the place in our life where we realize that we have sinned, that we have broken God's law, some of the things that we talked about here in verses 7 through 11, laws that God wants us to keep. But we're born into a world with a sinful nature, and we cannot in our own selves perfectly keep the law. But the good news is, is that Christ came and he lived on earth and he was uh, lived a perfect life. And he went and he died on the cross and he shed his blood. And he was willing to make the payment for your sin and my sin. So that would enable us to have a relationship with the creator God, the one who made us. And to be able to know for sure that we have eternal life. And it is by faith, putting your faith and trust and turning away from your sins, repenting, that you can receive this gift of eternal life. So let's just bow our heads and hearts for just a moment. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you've 
never received Christ as your Savior. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. And then I want to give a challenge to those who are already Christ followers. But if you've never received Christ, if you're not sure that He is your rock in the times of trials and tribulations, you're not sure He's the Redeemer of your life, you don't have that assurance. Just pray this simple little prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves, it's the intent of your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I've broken some of your laws. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. I can't live up to the standard of perfection that you demand. But I thank you that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and paid for my sins so that I could be redeemed, so I could be brought back, so I could be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And I ask you to be my personal Savior today. With every about every I close, I just encourage if you prayed that prayer, just see myself or even somebody in the worship team afterward and let us know if you made that decision for Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, I hope that you will take a, a few moments this week to just get out and allow God's handiwork to declare the glory of God, that you would meditate and commune with God about the great, great place that we live in here in Iowa. The agricultural center of the world in many ways. And how you just give the perfect balance in many years for what needs to be done to grow the crops and just enjoy the beautiful scenery here in Iowa. I just pray you'll make that commitment just to spend some time with God and meditate upon His handiwork. Father, we just give this time to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you as it goes out. It doesn't return void. I don't know how it's worked in each and every heart and life that's here, but you do, Lord. And I pray your Holy Spirit will just take these words and help them through this week, Lord, to see you in a greater, in a more amazing, a more majestic way because you're awesome. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.